Miles said. Come on then, madam, buck up at once. Gird on your sword and prepare to do battle. You have no alternative, you know. The die is cast. Indeed it is. She laughed. I'm off, she added. There won't be a battle, maybe a bit of grumbling and whining, but that's all. She blew him a kiss. I know that. Still, just think, next week we'll be all alone with our little brood and Aunt Charlotte. The rest of the family will have gone off on their holidays, thank God. Like you, I can't wait, she replied, and left him standing on the steps of the annex. She made her way across the stable yard, heading for the terrace, which ran along the back of the house, facing Cavendon Park. When she stepped onto the terrace a few seconds later, her three sisters-in-law and aunt had not yet arrived for their regular weekly catch-up. She sat down in a wicker chair, her gaze resting on the lush park which flowed to the edge of Little Skell Village. On the left side of the park was the lake, where the two white swans floated. A matched pair, bonded for life, as were all swans. It had been the first Earl, Humphrey Ingham, who had decreed there must always be swans at Cavendon to honour his liegeman, James Swan. The spectacular view had not changed over the many years, not since the 1700s, in fact, when the house had first been built. But everything else had. Things were different now. Nothing was the same anymore. Anywhere. Cecily sat drifting with her thoughts, thinking of the last four years. In 1945, when the war had ended in victory, the euphoria of the public had been high. Unfortunately, that sense of pride, triumph and relief had soon drifted off and the rot had set in. The country was broke. The great British Empire was creeping away, disappearing into nothingness. And everyone grumbled, complained and couldn't wait for things to get better. They didn't. The worst thing of it was that Churchill was out of office, the Labour Party had won the election, and Clement Attlee had been made Prime Minister. City councils without funds were unable to function properly. Bomb sites, great gaping holes in the ground, eyesores in every big city, had been left untouched for lack of money and materials. It was the same with ruined buildings. There were piles of rubble everywhere, making everyone miserable because they were constant reminders of the war. And the country was still suffering rationing on much of the food and day-to-day -day goods they needed. It seemed to Cecily that Britain had just stood still. Now, in 1949, she hoped things were improving. People were becoming more optimistic once more, and there was a sense of cheerfulness in the air. Princess Elizabeth's wedding, 18 months earlier, had helped lift the country's spirits. On the other hand, Britain was still a country mostly made up of old men, women and children. Hundreds of thousands of young men had not returned from battle, had died in foreign lands. She knew how much this had affected Cavendon. They were a large estate and had lost many of their young men from the tenant farms and the villages. The families devastated by loss for the second time in a generation.
and Cavendon was an agricultural estate that needed sturdy men to till the land, harvest the crops, tend the cattle and sheep. Miles said they were lucky that two of the land army girls had stayed on and were running several of the tenant farms. By advertising in local newspapers, Harry had managed to hire three families to move into tenant farms in the nearby villages of Mowbray and Highclough. Hearing voices, Cecily swung around and immediately stood up. Through the French doors, she saw Aunt Charlotte, who was talking to Eric Swan, head butler at Cavendon. Cecily went into the library to greet her aunt, exclaiming, Good morning. I didn't expect you to come today, Aunt Charlotte. Like her, her great-aunt was a swan who'd married an Ingham, though in Charlotte's case, not until later in life.